0: concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca/host. slash Hold on one
1: sec. Hey guys, how you guys doing? Big fan. Oh, thanks very much guys. Yeah, how you doing? Not bad, just doing the car cast here. All right, awesome. Have a good night guys. Hey, you too. Take you. care, see you guys later. Bye um
0: well we just got her open for the podcast
1: (laughs) oh god
0: (laughs) the tap in elliot i can't remember the last time i had a cigarette but i feel like i needed one after that game eight to six is the (laughs) final welcome to the uh, 32 thoughts podcast presented by the all-new gmc at4 lineup 84 shots uh, 14 goals, three points from Connor, three points from Makar, both goalies, starting goaltenders out of the game. We end up with Fransos, uh and Koskinen. First of all, before we get into all of this, let's just bask in the glow of what a glorious game one that was for each. Yes,
1: phenomenal. It was earlier in the day, someone sent me a note and he sent me a list of 10 of the best players in the game. Uh, that night and, and said you know how would you rank these guys and I was like this is impossible I did it but it was impossible and I was thinking how excited I am to watch this and a lot of times it's like a movie or a play that you're really excited to see and you're like oh or a big game and it it just doesn't live up to your expectations right you build it up into such a hope or you're so excited that it can't possibly live up to it yeah that is lived up to it. That was phenomenal theater, a great game, and six more of that. I demand it, and the hockey world <laughs> demands it.
0: The hockey world deserves it. After the last couple of seasons yes. the hockey world has been through, 100%. Uh, the hockey world deserves six more like that. So, there's a lot of things to get into. Let's just get the big one out of the way early. Uh, the Kale McCarr, 3-2 to two goal, 9 seconds after Zach Hyman makes it 2
1: point three seconds to go in the first period.
0: Hyman's Ninth. Avs trying to take it back, they do, oh, Kale, Kale, right when you need him, there he is, Mr. Dependable, Kale Macar. lets it fly, and the Avalanche have regained the lead. Connor, they're going to look at this for offside, if you watching it. It's really close, it's Chushkin trying to get out. He's doing everything he can. Woodcroft's going to challenge immediately. Yeah and they were looking down at that the video camera that's on the ice or the video screen that's on the ice here's the call after coach's challenge for offside it's determined that the play was onside therefore we have a good goal wow i love being wrong i i mean i've made a career out of being wrong that is i have i mean holy smokes That'll work. So Kale McCarr gives the Avalanche the lead back. I think most of us at that point said, "How was that not offside?" Like initially, I saw it. I said, "Okay, that one's coming back for sure." sure did I. And then, as you know, the, the review started on Twitter, and the questions started. And by the way, you know, who did a great job online tonight explaining to people the why this was a goal was Dave Jackson from ESPN. Uh, the NHL referee engaging with people, answering their questions, showing why this was onside. Uh, I thought Dave Jackson from ESPN did a fantastic job of that. How did you see it initially and at what point did it dawn on you that they actually got the call right?
1: Initially, I didn't think it was a goal. Like To me, the whole play is counterintuitive. and And I know why some people are really mad. One of the things that made that whole situation worse, worse, was that shot on Twitter. Of the one angle that makes it look like it's from, I guess, McCarr's left side. It makes it look like he's touching the puck. I understand why fans share that, but reporters shouldn't be sharing that because it's wrong. You know, we're not always right, but our job is to try to uh, report the facts as accurately as we can. Like, I think in that moment, my job is to explain why whatever call is made gets made. And, you know, that shot was wrong. It's an optical illusion. He wasn't touching the puck there. There are much more clearer replays, even some that are not photos, but are video, that show clearly he's not touching the puck at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think that whole thing made the situation worse. But, look, like, to me, Jeff, it's counterintuitive. That should not be a goal. And then I started getting texts like what was really interesting, Jeff, was the split. I had a bunch of players, current and former, who say there's no way that's a goal. Yeah, No way that's a goal. But then I had a couple of video coaches who started saying that's a goal. And I had two GMs who said that's a goal. Like, like in general, I think more people disagreed with the Coleman call in game five, Calgary, Edmonton, than this one. Now, there were that doesn't mean nobody disagreed. There were definitely people who disagreed, mm-hmm. but more people disagreed with the Coleman call than this one.
0: Just pause really quickly just to refresh everyone's memory. That is the Coleman kicked-in goal that Elliot is referring to just so we can all re- yes. continue. Just so want to make sure that we all remember that one correctly.
1: Yeah, you're right. But I will say this. Most of the people who disagreed with this particular call were either A, Oiler fans, or B, players. Like, I was surprised about How many players, current and retired, said they they didn't think that was the right call? And I suspect, because I engaged with a couple of them, McCarr is so good, you automatically assume he has possession. And you say that that guy's got possession, and that's why it's offside. I'll get to that in a second. But then, Jeff, you sent me the bunting play. Yeah. Someone else sent me, and that was from last year, L.A., Arizona, Someone else sent me the Thomas Tatar play from Vancouver, Montreal last year. And then John Shorthouse got off the golf course to send me a note about (laughs) Charlie McAvoy, Boston, Vancouver. And all of a sudden, and the one thing the NHL maintained was that they maintained that they had seen enough calls about that over the years that they knew once they got a good look at it Mm -hmm. and said, that is the proper call it's a good goal and i know a lot of people don't like it i know a lot of people really don't like it but after we started showing a bit more of those calls and ron made the thing he did in the second intermission mm-hmm. where he talks about chipping the puck in versus carrying it in on a delayed offside i think more people started to sway over but the ones who hate it really hate it yeah we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Slight insert. It's 1.46 a.m. Wednesday morning. We finished the car cast about an hour and a half ago. I'm home. I've been looking at a few things with this McCar goal and texting back and forth. Another thing that was pointed out to me, a number of people on Twitter were sharing NHL rule 83.3. The delayed offside rule as evidence the goal shouldn't have counted here's the only problem it's not a delayed offside if you go to wherever you watch the games whether in sportsnet in canada tnt was the broadcaster in the states or your various international feed wherever you're tuning in thank you go look at the replays and the linesman who's on the blue line as Makar approaches, his hand is not in the air. And it shouldn't be because the puck isn't in the zone. So it's not a delayed offside. That rule no longer takes effect. As a matter of fact, when Makar crosses the line, you can clearly see the linesman waving his arms to say no offside. So the delayed offside rule and whatever that means, it's not in effect. Now, back to
0: our program.
1: Oh, by the way, Jeff, I should clarify one more thing. I did make one mistake on the air. I said that the on-ice linesmen have the final say on an offside review. They don't. The situation room has the final say. The thing the on-ice officials have the final say on are hit with a high stick and major or a minor penalty. That's what they control. I made a i made a mistake there and i should clear it what do you think
0: initially i thought there's no chance like i tweeted as such like oh look at that nine seconds later McCar scores and then i looked at it like okay but this thing is coming back on review and then when it was ruled a goal i was like many people i was stunned and then my first question is why am i wrong okay so i start to look for reasons why i am wrong And in situations like this, like I'll I'll point out, you know, uh, Dave Jackson, I texted with uh, one other official as well. Uh, who both were consistent, like, no, that is a goal. That one should count. And then, like you, the example started popping up. And then people started sending examples of the rule book and pursuing possession um, in an offside position. And then, as Dave Jackson pointed out to people online, that's only when you're already offside. If you're in an onside position, as Kale McCarr was, that's not pursuit of the puck. And then when it sort of dawned on me that don't treat it like a zone entry on the stick, treat it as if it's a dump in. What's the call? When I started thinking of it more as a dump in than a controlled entry, it started to dawn on me that, oh, yeah, he's not touching that. And the is just tagged up if it were a dump in we would have no problem with it. The problem is it's just a shallow chip instead of a usual dumpin that goes to the board. So that's when it started to dawn on me and I started to change my mind on it. So it took a while for me to get there, but my head finally wrapped around why this thing is... Uh, was was called the way that it was. But initially, I think I was like most people and I was like you, there's no way that can be a goal. That was my knee jerk. Mm-hmm. And then when it was ruled a goal, I tried to find examples of why uh, it was ruled a goal. Anyway.
1: I have to say, my buddies started saying to me, Jeff, we want some screen grabs of your DMs. And so I How did you
0: hang on. How did you describe anatomically impossible positions? What was, yes, that? what yeah, did yeah, you yeah, say you know, on
1: TV tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I said, Ron's DMS are closed. Keep saying it through your anatomically impossible. Replies. But so my buddies were like, send me some screen grabs. And first of all, there were a number of you who started um, sending me very nice DMS. And I think that's very nice of you. And I really appreciate it. It was, it was a nice thing for you to do. It was fine. Like it, I wouldn't joke about it if it was really serious or anything I couldn't handle. But it was like I appreciate the people who took time to try to send some nice messages. But I was sending uh, some of them to my buddies, and they they couldn't stop laughing. Like they, <laughs> there was some stuff in there that was just it was. It was just so far extreme. It was crazy town. But you know what? Like right. this is, That's this why we love
0: hockey. This is part of what made this game so great. There was some controversy, as they, uh, they call it, uh, across the pond. Um, you know, there were, as I mentioned, 14 goals. Only one player scored twice, Elliot. Do you know who that player was?
1: Only one player scored twice.
0: Only one, 14 goals and only one player had two goals. JT Comfer, that's it.
1: Oh, that's right. Comfer had two goals. (laughs) I can't, with that offside, I had no idea what was happening.
0: No, but it's like, it was a, a wild, fun, crazy game. And I thought, I think it was, was it either you or Kelly who said, you know, just as you were going to the third period. Ron asked, is this game over? And I think both you and Kelly said, not a chance. Not a chance. Like, there's yeah. no way. Like, it's 7-4, to four, the end of two periods of play. And I don't think anybody thought that this thing was over. And then Derek Ryan scores. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins scores. Landis Cog with the empty netter, and it's 8-6. It was wild. I
1: thought they were going to tie
0: it. So did I. I
1: thought they were going to tie it. I was shocked that they didn't. I really thought they were going to. They had some great opportunities. What a game, you know, someone pointed out to me and I checked because Cassian's previous goal was assisted by some of the Euler's higher line players and Archibald's had an assist. And I think it was on an RNH goal. I think that Derek Ryan goal was the first goal. Of the Euler's fourth line has scored all playoffs. Hmm. So that was a, a huge goal at that time. I mean, the the whole thing was was just fantastic.
0: That Derek Ryan goal that was right after a really tough shot block by Andre Burakovsky. Yeah, so he left the game. Where you're like, whoa, man, that was a that was a tough one. The one thing, and I don't know whether I'm just projecting this or not. I'm just thinking, like, okay, if I'm the Colorado Avalanche, right now I finally got past the second round. So I've got, I'm no longer carrying that luggage with me in the playoffs. It looked like Colorado played faster than we've seen them in the playoffs so far. Frege, they were flying up and down the ice tonight, specifically in the first and second, mostly in the first, where they were getting up and down the ice quick. But that is like the quickest I've seen Colorado play, maybe all season, Frege.
1: They overwhelmed Edmonton early in that game, Jeff. You're, you're totally right about that. The Oilers were really on their heels. When Kemper left, I just thought the Oilers really sensed an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Smith had been chased, and I didn't think this game one was the same as some of the other game ones. I didn't like the first goal. I thought he kind of lost his positioning and flopped a bit. But generally, I didn't look at this and say Smith was awful. I think that Edmonton just got swarmed and were being badly outplayed at the time. The Kemper thing is, I hope it's not the eye. I was kind of wondering about that. You know, we thought it was equipment and then he came and talked to Bednar and left the game. Kelly wondered if there was anything to do with the save he made beforehand. He made a big body extension save uh, right before he left, but it seemed like he was moving. Okay. I really hope it's not the eye. And Colorado in the past has talked up François. They really do like him. Other teams in the league have talked about when he was available, there was a lot of interest. I just got the sense that the Avalanche weren't as confident when Kemper left the game. And I wonder if it's just a a one-game thing or it's something that continues as we move on to game two. We'll see. I just hope for Kemper's sake that he's all right. Yeah.
0: Fans at Ball Arena love François. The Frankie chants were going hard on uh, on this night, Fridge.
1: I also got to say, I don't think this was the night that the Avalanche should have been ripping the officials. Like they, got, <laughs> they got the benefit <laughs> of the doubt.
0: Okay, so here becomes one of the questions. I thought that Koskinen played good.
1: I thought he did too.
0: Is there any chance he starts game two?
1: No. You go back with Smith. Smith has got you here. Smith has got you here. He's the guy. And besides, like I said, I didn't even think Smith was like some of the game ones. You know, he's not been very good. Again, I thought the first goal was bad. But if you go back and you watch the first period after the first goal, it could have been 6 nothing. Mm -hmm. He made some big saves. And one of the things I heard they were concerned about was he was too wired to play the beginning of the series. Mm. I just didn't see that as a big problem. I think they got beat. The Oilers were on their heels. The Avalanche were skating all around them. This wasn't the same, and I don't think anyone needs to overthink it.
0: Okay, so two questions, and then we'll move on. First question, if you're Colorado, how are you feeling right now? And if you're Edmonton, how are you feeling right now?
1: I mean, if you're Edmonton, you're disappointed you lost the game, but I don't think you saw anything there that makes you think you can't. You're going to have to show up and start the game better than they did for the first two periods, but I don't think there's anything there that says you can't play with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I feel the same for Colorado. I mean, you know, the biggest thing here is, is again, the Kemper situation. I'll also say this. I had a few people who sent me notes tonight about that Anunin, uh, the third stringer. Yep. And they said that guy is a good goalie. I don't know anything about him. I had one guy in particular who sent me a really good note about Francois, who said that I wouldn't be too worried about him. But I, what I thought was really interesting was I had a couple people send me notes about a and say, if they have to go to him, that guy can play. So I think if you're Colorado, your biggest question is, what's with your number one goalie? And hopefully he's okay.
0: We shall see. Uh, well, game one delivered, and to your point, six more. That's what we're putting down on our order. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view, and they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers. Uh, Let's go back to that before we have a look at the Eastern Conference uh, final uh, which begins the evening when you're probably listening to this podcast. Carolina's home winning streak ends. Uh, the New York yep. Rangers, stick it to them. And it was the the story of the big dogs for the Rangers. It was Kreider, It was Zabanajad, It was Fox. And most notably, it was Igor Shishterkin for the New York Rangers. We're going to get to what's next for Carolina in a second. But your thoughts on the Rangers' Game 7 performance at PNC? I
1: thought they were really good. I thought the Hurricanes really sagged. That was the thing that really surprised me in a lot of ways was, like, I know the Hurricanes didn't always agree with the narrative about, you know, the Rangers taking over games. They thought they played better, for example, in in some of those games than they got credit for. I saw Game 7 as a team that believed it was going to win against a team that, once things went sideways, got hit by doubt. I heard the Rangers, you know, one of the players kind of hinted to me after the game, he says, we really thought we were going to win. We thought we were getting better. You know, they they really believed in Shesterkin over Ranta. I heard that Goodrow coming back was just a big thing for them because he's a veteran who's been there before, and they really thought that was an important thing for them. And, you know, like you look at the first minutes of that game, Ajo takes a penalty. Panarin makes a huge play on the, on the penalty kill when Carolina has a chance going the other way, and then they score. And I thought Carolina just sagged, and that continued. I, I thought the Rangers just continued to get more confident. And the play of the night for me, and, and I know in the grand <laughs> scheme of things it's not huge, but I think it told me what was ailing Carolina is – When Nechess passed off to Svechnikov and Svechnikov thought he'd shoot it. Mm. Like I looked at that and, you know, what did Rod Brindemore say after the game? Do we have elite goal scorers or we, you know, maybe not, but we have great players. You know, know, we're we're built a little differently than some other teams
0: and that's okay. That's Rod Brindemore after the game.
1: Uh, You know what that says to me, Jeff? It's a team that all of a sudden, got into trouble, and was sitting there saying, what's our identity? Like, watching Brindamore during that series, and when the, when the shots kept on panning over to him, he's a proud guy, and you could see the frustration. And, like, that guy, it's almost impossible for him to lie. His emotions are written all over his face, and I think he was really stunned by what happened to his team. And I think the Hurricanes are looking at themselves right now. And you have to be careful of the emotion. You have to take the emotion out of this. And that's what a guy like Eric Tulsky is for. But I think you have to look at it and say, what are we? And I think that's what they're looking at. And they, I think Carolina's got a really smart front office. They've got a lot of smart guys there, you know, between – Waddell and Aaron Schwartz and Darren York and all those people there. And I think they will be smart enough to take a deep breath and think, but I do think this is going to be a summer of the hurricanes sitting there and saying, are we not what we thought we were? That's the message that Brenda Moore is sending. And I wonder how many of them are thinking about that because the clock dictates now, Jeff, they have to make decisions.
0: I thought a lot about that quote, you know, since I heard Rod Brindamore say it and what it hints at to me is I look at it and I say, this is Rod Brindamore saying, you know, I wish we had the luxury of having someone that can score an easy goal for us because in this Rangers series, I think what Carolina, they got to a place where they had to grind for every single goal. And that takes a lot. And if you have a player like, the Rangers have Kreider. Kreider can score an easy goal. Kreider comes down, snaps it in, bam. Yeah, you just feel like it takes so much pressure off your team. Like Matthew scores an easy goal. Line a scores an easy goal. Tarasenko can score an easy goal. Kucherov can score it. Drysaitel. Like there are players in the NHL who can score an easy goal. It makes the game so much easier because when you have to grind for everything, it's just exhausting after 60 minutes getting there. I looked at that and I said, I wonder if the in the off you know, you might look at it and say it's a luxury, but I think that all the great teams have them. You just need someone that can just come down the wing and snap it in and score an easy goal, one that you don't have to really work for. Just get in position and let the guy shoot. That's kind of how I saw that comment.
1: I think that's a really good analysis. I think it's, it goes exactly to the point of what Moore is saying. Look, I, like, I'm not trying to kick it Ron to here in any way, shape or form. He won them a game seven and he got them to yeah. game seven of the second round. But I just think the Rangers belief in Shesterkin eclipsed what the Hurricanes believed. And when it's a game seven, it comes down to, do you think there's somebody there who's, who can bail you out? And... You know, the Rangers believe that. And, you know, the Hurricanes once started things going wrong, you could see it. Now, Mm -hmm. there's some big decisions to make. I had heard there was an offer to Trocek this year, and, you know, obviously it didn't get done. I heard there was an offer to Natchez at some point this year. It didn't get done. The one thing about Carolina is they kind of go to where they think is fair and what they think your market value is. And they tend not to go too far past that. So it's going to be interesting to see if whatever they thought the Trocheck nature's market value was, are they willing to move off that, mm-hmm. you know, Trocek's a UFA nature's is an RFA. He really had a rough playoff. Like, I think that guy's a really good player. He really had a tough playoff. So that's going to be, that one to me is going to be interesting because that's a player even though we could get an offer sheet that is still more under team control than than Trocheck is, I think the other one is is Ethan Bear. You know, I can't imagine Bear is too happy there. I can't imagine that he would want to stay after not getting a game in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But you know, they they might lose some bodies on D. Who knows what's going to happen to D'Angelo? Who knows what's going to happen to Ian Cole? They might need defensemen. I'm just not convinced that you know, Bear is going to want to stay there after this.
0: You have a thought on Nino Niederreiter through all of this? He's a UFA as well.
1: I haven't heard as much about his negotiation situation. Mm -hmm. Like to me, Niederreiter is, he fits their identity, right? He's a, he's a four checker. He's, he's a grinder. He, he can score those greasy goals. Like he's not a natural goal scorer like some of those other guys are, but, I think when you talk about the way a team played and whether or not a player fits the identity, he fits it. I guess it's like everybody else. Like, what does he want and how do they value it?
0: One thing from that Ranger Carolina series I want to get your thoughts on. I had Brian Engblom on the radio show Mm -hmm. and I brought up Scott Stevens. Now, Brian Engblom was Scott Stevens' first defense partner uh, when he played with the Washington Capitals as an 18-year-old. So Brian Engblom watched Scott Stevens try to run everybody out of the rink, most notably every Philadelphia Flyer that moved every time the Capitals played um, the Philadelphia Flyers. And I just wanted to lead him into a conversation about Jacob Truba because he had seen the shark in the water in Washington with Scott Stevens, and I was, you know, I was asking him his thoughts on Jacob Truba, and we think about the hit that we saw in Game 7 against Seth Jarvis, and we've seen Truba really, really lay into some guys this season. Yep. And, you know, Engblom was, you know, correctly bringing up the point that it stands out because a lot of guys aren't like this anymore, that those types of players, like you're not expecting, you step over the blue line, you throw one on net, you're not expecting to meet that. Yes. Because those types of players don't exist anymore, but you're allowed to hit. And it is a, let's all remember still a violent and potentially dangerous sport because these are large men that moves at, that move at at great speed. And Jacob Truba is a very unique defenseman in that sense. Do you have a thought on Truba as we're going to transition here to the, uh, to the Rangers Tampa series, a thought on Truba and a thought on the hit on Seth Jarvis?
1: Well, it wasn't a dirty hit. No. The thing that surprised me the most is that Jarvis got caught. So flush, um, you know, he's a really smart, aware player. And there's two things that kind of happened here, Jeff, either he just, you know, for whatever reason, wasn't aware that it was Truba and got caught by him or someone else's theory, and only Jarvis can answer this, is if he just said, I see him and I'm going to take a hit. And unfortunately, he got hit really hard and got knocked out of the game. You know, Truba had a huge night too. He made a couple of other really good defensive plays to knock out scoring chances when the game was still in doubt. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. There is someone I am trying to get on the podcast. And so far, they haven't agreed to do it, but I'm trying to get him on because I know he's one of the people who is behind an effort right now to get the players to change the rules. You know, he doesn't think that the hits that Truba is making are illegal. But he just thinks that we have to move away from those kinds of hits. Like, I like hitting. I like a tough game. I don't like to see players getting injured. I do think that some of the responsibility is on the player to be aware of their surroundings, and particularly if a player like Truba is on the ice. But this is someone I know who's making an effort to say, you know, we can't have this anymore And I think the players should have a conversation about what they feel is right. And to this point, he isn't talking publicly, but I am determined. Okay. And I do think this is going to be a conversation. I don't see anything wrong with the hit that Truba made, but I understand when people look at this and say, do we want players like Seth Jarvis? getting injured or Sidney Crosby getting injured or Jujar Kara this year yeah. getting injured. All of these hits were hits that not deserve to be suspensions, but I still think people look at it and say, how are we thinking about all this?
0: Tampa Bay lightning and the New York Rangers, your Eastern conference final is set yeah. and front and center. As much as we put the premium on goal scoring and speed in the Western conference in eight to six games here comes Andre Vasilevsky versus Igor Shosturkin. Is this a series for the goaltending fans out there, Elliot? Well,
1: we're all praising the goaltending, so the first game will probably end like 13-12.
0: <laughs> with both getting the hook.
1: I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, Shosturkin, like, how can you not be impressed with that guy? You look back at game one of the playoffs, he, ne- he nearly sets a record in, in in losing a triple overtime game. Pittsburgh had him on the ropes. They had clearly broken him down and the coverage around him down. And he found a way. I mean, this guy's won two game sevens in a row. And that deserves respect. That is a person who has earned respect. And I think the other things I really respect about him are A, he was he looked to be in real trouble in the first round. And B, like this is a guy who has not seen too many of these kinds of games. He They didn't make the playoffs last year. He played 53 games this season. He's not used to this kind of stress-induced workload, and he has delivered, and he has earned respect. I'm looking forward to this. The challenge I see for the Rangers is that, you know, Tampa, I never pick against them. I never do. I pick them against Toronto. I pick them against Florida. They just don't beat themselves. They make it so that you have to beat them. Florida was never close. Toronto had them, and it was like the fish that slips out of your hand or slips (laughs) off your line. You have to beat them. They will not beat themselves. And I think that that's the thing. The Rangers, they're here. They've earned it. It's not a fluke. They deserve to be here. But can they beat a team that won't beat itself? That's what I need to see.
0: You know, one of the players that as the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning continue here through the playoffs, I think we're going to have more conversations uh, about, and we've already had some of them. Uh, We all know what happens with the salary cap and with teams. Players end up leaving uh, because of salary cap considerations. And the one thing that I wonder about with Tampa is, are we seeing the last of Andre Palat in a Tampa Bay Lightning uniform? Like I've always looked at Andre Palat and kind of said, even though the um, the offensive production isn't at the same level, he's kind of like a mini Marion Hosa for me.
1: That's a great comparison.
0: He's not as strong as Marion Hosa He doesn't put up the offensive numbers that Marion Hosa did, but he looks and plays and feels like Hosa light to me. Do you think we might be seeing the last of Palat in a Tampa uniform?
1: The thing we've learned about the Lightning is not to assume. You know, how many times do we think Kaloran was done oh. and he's, he's still there? At some point in time, you're not going to be able to keep everybody, right? You're just not going to be able to do it. It's not possible. The cap is getting tighter and tighter. I just think that one thing that we've learned is if players want to stay there, they always seem to find a way or try to find a way. Maybe this is an example of where they can't do it, but the long time guys – They've generally found ways to do it. And you know, I, I, you're know, you probably right. This might be it. I've just learned never to assume.
0: Most important players in this series are the obvious ones. Or do you say, hold on a second here. In a situation like this, you know what? Maybe Nick Paul is more important than we thought.
1: Nick Paul has proven that he's incredibly important in these playoffs. I just want to say something about Kucherov. Kucherov. Where where would you rank him in the NHL?
0: Where would I rank him in the NHL?
1: Somebody said to me one of the
0: best right wingers in the league.
1: Somebody said to me the other day, he is still, in his mind, Kucherov is still like a top five to ten player in this league.
0: There's a lot of good players in this league. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot No, there are. There's a lot of good players in the in the playoffs. Yeah, I know. He's 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 great. I know he really is. I I just wanted to bring that up to you. No, but here the 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 thing, the the thing that I've always admired about Kucherov is he's he's a supreme, he's a supremely skilled playmaker. Like those seams that he finds when he fires it fast from the right side, you know, finding either point in the middle or Stamkos on the far side, like. Few even think about those passes. I mean, and he fires rockets. Mm-hmm. Like his passes are. I've like, only really imagined like trying to take one of those passes, let alone one time it. Like Stamkos, I don't think we spend enough time, honestly, talking about how how you one time a pass from Nikita Kucherov. That is a skill that Stamkos has that I that I just marvel at. Yeah, but he's also like such a, a shooting threat too, and he disguises the way he rolls his wrists. He just dis- he is the the master of deception. Like, when he's on, there are maybe a handful of players that are better. Maybe a handful of players that are better, Elliot. I just think that this guy is is supremely skilled. And the thing about him for me is just how the puck comes off his blade. When he's passing it, it's a rocket. And when he shoots it, I swear, it's like he doesn't roll his wrists. He just, there's this, like, snap thing that he does, and it goes bar down. He's a remarkable player.
1: Yeah, phenomenal. I don't pick against the Lightning. I'm going to pick the Lightning because they've earned that I do that with them. The Rangers are not incapable of winning this series. They just have to beat them. They will not beat themselves. Rangers have to find a
0: way to beat them. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much
1: else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's daily deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and... They're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them.
0: Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is... couple of things news and notes real quick yeah st louis blues um media availability uh doug armstrong general manager indicating no surprise at all that the st louis blues are interested in bringing david perron back you have a quick thought on that one
1: everybody i talked to we mentioned on the podcast on monday that the word was that perron wanted to come back and they wanted him back you know obviously you got to make a deal that everybody's happy with but no one's really expecting David Perron to hit the free agent market. The one there that's going to be interesting is going to be one that we kind of talked about, and that is O'Reilly. He's their best player, and he's a year away from UFA. And the one thing that someone told me about was that O'Reilly is a Newport guy, and Petrangelo was a Newport guy. And that was a, a massive, massive negotiation that got completely screwed up and you know as a result petrangelo walked and what another gm said to me was he would be surprised if armstrong didn't come out early and got this one going Hmm. he thinks that the blues this is his opinion he thinks that the blues got that one started on the wrong foot the last time, and if they're really serious about O'Reilly, and I would assume they are, he's a phenomenal player, and his bet is that the Blues start this one early, and they are determined not to make the same mistakes. Now, Doug Armstrong made it very clear that he did not believe in full and total no-move clauses. So, You know, if that's an issue here, that's going to be a problem. But his position is that the Blues, if they could do it over again with Petrangelo, would have started the negotiation differently. And his guess is that they will do that with O'Reilly.
0: But if the holdup is that no trade, no move, like...
1: That's a different issue.
0: David Poyle resisted for the longest time and then eventually had to relent. This is... I don't know. It cost them Alex Petrangelo.
1: Well, well, what this GM said to me was that there's a difference between having a philosophical issue and starting the negotiations in a good place. He felt that those negotiations started poorly and the blues, his feeling is, and if I'm wrong about this, I'm sure I will hear it, but his (laughs) feeling is that if the blues could do it over again, they would have started those negotiations a different way.
0: Okay. Last one on the blues. How do you read this quote about, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, this from, uh, blues general manager, Doug Armstrong as well. He was, he was asked today about Vlad Tarasenko. We all know about the trade request, um, last off season. His quote is,
1: I'm not concerned about Vladdy for next year at all. I think, uh, uh, Well, I asked someone about that and they told me that Buchnevich made a big difference for Tarasenko this year. So unless I'm completely misreading this, which could happen, I mean, I've done that before, this person indicated to me that Tarasenko was in a better place and Buchnevich had a lot to do with that and just a better year had a lot to do with that. So that's the way this individual took it to mean. Hmm. We'll see if that is wrong.
0: Okay, and uh, finally, um, it might be a a controlled fire, we'll just call it, but you kind of lit one this afternoon on the radio with me by mentioning Dylan Strome and uh, qualifying offers with the Chicago Blackhawks.
1: Oh, why? As in he might not be qualified?
0: As he might not be qualified for the Hawks.
1: Either outcome is possible here, Jeff. I don't know if there's any clarity at this time that Dylan Strome is going to be qualified or not. I think there's a lot in the air in Chicago. I think there's a lot of things that could happen there. Mm-hmm. And when you talked the other day about Calgary, does Brad tree living have moves in his hip pocket, depending on what Goudreau and Kachuk say, I think the same thing could be in Chicago. Like how does some of their top players feel, you know, what are their opportunities? I think that could determine it. There's a few cases around the league of, qos you know one is Strom, kasperi kapanen and pittsburgh is another ethan bear is another i've wondered about buffalo and victor olofsson like there's a few players around the league where if you look at their qualifying offers you're kind of wondering what are these teams going to do and and i think some other teams have also looked at it like are there going to be more free agents here that don't get qualified by their current teams because they don't like the QOs. And Strom was one of the names I heard because it was clear that the previous coach in Chicago, Culleton wasn't a big fan of Strom. Now he did better under King, but there's no guarantee King's going to be back. So how does everybody here feel about this? Hmm. I don't think anybody particularly knows, Um, you know, Strom was a guy who was available last year And Chicago didn't get the price they wanted. So it's not as if him not getting qualified is is an impossibility. It might happen. It might not happen. you know, my point was that there's some talk about is Strom going to be free or Mm -hmm. is he not going to be free?
0: so that's a story for down the road. The story as you're uh, listening to this podcast, we suspect is what's happening tonight. And that is game one of the Eastern conference final. Uh, we had the eight, six game. Get ready for a two to one game. Andre Vasilevsky versus Igor Shostakovich. but to Elliot's point, watch this one's going to be 13, 12, um, (laughs) taking us out a band that formed almost 20 years ago in Midland, Ontario. After seven full length records, born ruffians continue to put out great music while experimenting with new sounds. The band is currently on tour, hitting up several hockey cities across North America. That includes Minneapolis, Denver, Phoenix, Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, and many more. With their latest single, Chrysanthemums, here are Born Ruffians on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. I'm the day The leaves my brain just blew away.